Hello and welcome to the 20th episode now. Wow, that's gone quick of the Football Index podcast. Today I'm joined by ASP. You might have seen his portfolio floating around on Twitter. It's at a massive 300,000, which is pretty insane if you ask me. And after he told me that he'd deposited a whopping £90,000 in January 2017. I just knew I had to get this guy on the podcast. So, ASB, first of all, introduce yourself and then let's rewind back to January 2017. <laughs> well, thanks very much uh, for having me. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I've uh, been a member of the Index basically since the beginning. Uh, I signed up in October 2015 and uh, yeah, it wasn't hugely involved in terms of i guess you know the numbers i've been kind of you know pumping in recently but you know when i started i put in a little bit sort of monitored it um wasn't hugely sort of keen on it i think maybe because there wasn't a sort of pb element but um yeah as i sort of tracked it over the course of a year sort of saw the potential saw the growth and then yeah decided i kind of really needed to make a go of it and kind of here we are well, th- th- let's so let's go back to January 2017 properly, yeah. and, and tell me what you were thinking when you when you actually deposited that much. And also, was this like your savings, or was this like a big chunk of money you inherited, or what? Just tell me the whole story. Yeah, sure, sure. So I think in terms of my mindset, because I can understand, and even actually now when I'm thinking about it, it, it might seem, and it does seem, I guess, um, quite a bold, risky move, but. You know, as I said, I've been monitoring the index basically since the start. And, um, you know, I it had got to the point where I was sort of sufficiently, um, you know, into, you know, bought into, you know, what they were doing um, and saw the growth and also saw what was upcoming, you know, which was PB. And I think, you know, if, if, if that wasn't a fact, I probably wouldn't have got so heavily involved. So I, I basically saw... Um, what I thought was, um, well, what was sort of a track record of growth and um, what I knew would be a product that would really catch on once it was sort of developed. So in terms of January, um, I think the first thing is, you know, when I was on Twitter, I said, um, you know, 90K, I actually went back and did a few calculations. It's probably a little bit more overall. It's probably about 100K, which probably wow. probably makes me, yeah, probably makes me sound a little <laughs> bit more crazy. But the other interesting thing was it actually wasn't all as I kind of thought um, put in mostly sort of towards the beginning of that year, Jan 17. It was actually um, sort of drip fed in around that time. But the bulk of it actually went in around the summer, um, sort of May, June, July, August, September, which even now when I think about it, kind of doesn't really make sense as to how it's turned into sort of quite a large portfolio. Um, but yeah, I mean, just getting back to the original point, I just saw you know, my gut feel was that, um, you know, it was going to just go on and on and on. Um, and, uh, you know, that's proved to be right. So, yeah, it was one of those things where I think in life, there's certain opportunities that come around every now and again. And I'm quite a conservative person, actually, but I really kind of thought about it hard and just, uh, you know, thought it was kind of worth it, I guess. Well, I mean, you've already made life say life changing, sorry, amounts of money. I mean, from a hundred thousand pounds to three hundred thousand pounds, that two hundred thousand pound increase—that's easily, easily a house deposit. So, it, what are your kind of goals in terms of when you do realise some profit at least at one point? What are your what's your goal in terms? Of what do you want to 
buy or own? Um, yeah, well, just because I didn't answer your previous question, but just the part in terms of where the money came from. Uh, yeah, um, of course. Yeah, look, it was um, partly savings um, and partly debt, which you know I think a lot of people might consider very risky, and I appreciate it's very risky, but. I kind of did some calculations um, based on, you know, obviously I have a job, um, I have another sort of small source of income, and then obviously there was the index potential to provide me with returns. So I sort of did a worst case scenario, and yeah, actually, genuinely, it was one of those things where I thought worst case scenario I could be looking at, obviously, quite a big, um, you know, quite a big loss, but then I could potentially be looking at maybe a two, three, four times uh, increase. So it, it you know, it, I can't say it was. You know, obviously, in hindsight, it's easy to say it was a good decision. It could have gone the other way, but but as I said, that wasn't what my sort of intuition, calculations, and just sort of reading of this product and and where it was going to go. It, it just wasn't the reading. So you know, luckily, I was right. Um, but yeah, in terms of what I want to sort of do with it, um, I, I think the first thing to make clear is obviously, you know, as every good trader knows, it's not profit until it's taken. So you know, it's sitting at a certain amount now. Um, you know, if I don't sort of manage it well or, you know, buy trade the right players or, you know, realize some profits at the right times, it could, you know, potentially drop significantly. But if it was to sort of stay as it is and grow, um, to be honest, at the moment, I I don't actually have an idea. Um, I think precisely because of that reason, because I don't know exactly, uh, you know, where it will end up. Um, you know, negatively or positively. So I'm kind of just taking it day by day, um, trying to stay, you know, a fairly sensible trader. Um, and then, you know, if if more good things happen, great. Um, and if I can, you know, realize a lot of it in a, in a good way and, uh, you know, do something with it, you know, we'll see. But I haven't decided, to be honest, at the moment. Well, fair play, man. You you really did put your balls on the line and it's it's paid off to you know to to a great great degree and you know kudos to you for for doing so and i just wanted to ask like you there are a lot of people who are negative about the index who who aren't actually on it right you, you hear a lot of people saying it's too good to be true um you know all these negative you know voices that you have on twitter did those ever pop into your mind when you were actually depositing oh. <laughs> well, the funny thing is is that i'm probably and this is going to sound crazy but i'm probably one of the most conservative risk averse people um like i i genuinely you know get my friends or people telling me you know every now and again you know look at this you know you know this is a good you know buy whether it's a product this is a good investment if it's an investment and Nine times out of ten, I'm so skeptical that I just don't get involved because you know I'm just that way. So I was one of those people. But I think for me, I kind of had to take a step back. And I guess if we're looking at it now, I'd say to anyone, you know, just take a step back and think of just before you get into the product, think about how startup companies work. You know, you obviously have to first go through a huge amount of research and development get a huge amount of investment i mean i can't remember the numbers but i think you know even before it launched they probably you know put in a good million or a couple of million into into getting it uh, you know ready to launch the market and then your first year as a startup you know you've basically got to show that all that time and money was actually worth it and people are actually half interested in what you have to have to sell they did that um and that was obviously the kind of time that i got involved but if you're looking at it now you basically 
past the second year as well. Um, and the second year is really, you know, when you're a startup, okay, you've shown that someone, you know, some people are halfway interested. Can you scale it? And they did that. And then really, if you're looking at startups after year three, if you pass year three, um, and year three, I think generally would be really as it's kind of, you know, panning out to be, can you really scale it? I mean, can you take it to other territories? Can you really grow the, you know, the UK user base? And, and the signs are kind of all there just without even first looking at the product, which we can get into. So for me, you know, after three years as a startup, you know, and not only that, look at the team, you know, you don't, you don't hire new staff, um, you know, to work, you know, on, on your data, on your marketing, on all these other things, if you're, you know, not, you know, getting backing for your product and your product isn't isn't doing that well it's you know the signs are kind of all there just from a company perspective for me that i'm not saying should make anyone think you know yes it's all okay throw your money in but you know it should give you if you've got a rational mind a, a little bit of a you know good idea as the kind of where it's going and you know i think it will be three years old in in october and if it passes that mark as you know i'm pretty sure it will that for most you know i think for most rational minded people should 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 quieten a little bit of out of the discontent but i think it's just always going to be there for for a little bit more because it's so new um so that's what i would say in terms of that but for me yeah i, I looked at it in those terms i saw a product that had launched that had some backing that was gaining more users that was growing and that had a lot of potential and yeah, I did think about it, but as I said, it was just to me. This is something where I think genuinely, it's 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 sort of it's yeah. As they say in business, it's disruptive. It's something different in the in the gambling industry, and and it, and that's kind of what in, it informs me. Um, you know, as well when I look at obviously the the, the company's growth and the platform growth. Totally, I, I really want to piggyback on that point. Disruptive, right? I work in I work for a challenger consultancy right so kind of in in finance and the amount of disruptive uh, disruptive products and technologies that are coming into that sector there's no reason why football index can be that you know the next the monzo of the gambling industry right if that kind of makes sense uh disrupting banks but as monzo is and it, it might take a while but when people realize that this product is actually better than putting money into bet 365 or sky bet there's going to be that slow wave of mass user like you know retention people more people joining there's going to be like a lot more people who are going to stop betting completely just to join this product right and for me another thing that kind of instilled confidence in myself was the fact that this product has managed to get regulation from a gambling perspective from sweden and canada as well as ireland which is which is massive like because and for me like, i just wanted to ask a quick question right so we're gambling uh, we are sorry football index is regulated by the gambling commission do you think that it needs to also be regulated because it's 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 a weird product right it's kind of blurring lines it's not by quite the a financial FSA, product. Gonna say? Yeah. yeah i was gonna say but it's not quite a financial product it's not quite a gambling product like there are some blurred lines where it sits so do you think it should be regulated by other financial institutions i mean you're right it is um well, I, I think the I think the stock market, you know, the footballing stock market sort of tagline, is a good one. Um, 
And yes, it does in some way bear a slight resemblance to one or, or a resemblance to one, and the lines are blurred. But I think ultimately, um, you know, well, firstly, I don't think it would help any of us if it was regulated by the FSA. <laughs> it would probably kill it. But uh, no, I think I think for the moment, it, you know, it's a gambling product. You, you, you take a bet on, you know, the performance of a player over over, over the course of a few years and, uh, you know, you can cash out when you want. But I guess at the same time, that's the same as stock market. So yeah, yeah, the, the lines are blurred. I don't, I don't have the answer to that. I, but I don't think, um, just going back to your first point, you know, Obviously, if it requ- if it required you know FSA authorization, it would have had that, but obviously it didn't. Um, but the main thing is that it does have you know UK Gambling Commission or, you know licensing, which again going back to the previous point about potential um, you know uncertainty for new traders or people putting a lot of money. And for me, you know that was quite a big thing. And as you've said, it you know it's it's got the same from the new territories it, it's gone into. Yeah, really. Um, yeah, really interesting stuff. I think. Because I, I, I don't know. For my company, I, I deal with. I don't deal with, but I hear a lot about cryptocurrencies and, and them becoming like a, a new asset class. But a lot of people being confused about where they kind of sit on that continuum, like where they, like they're blurring a lot of lines. And I think I think football index is not equally disruptive. But in terms of if we take the gambling industry as like a microcosm, it is really disruptive and things like football index and DraftKings, you're seeing people trying to create new gambling products like uh quiff the one where it boosts your odds whatever like there's new and innovative products coming into the space because it did become stagnant and a bit archaic and you know like we've gone from a bookie shop to online bookmakers and the customer isn't the one in focus ever like it's the company making a killing really and we've moved on to online bookmakers. The customer is still not the focus. It doesn't matter how the customer feels. And there's no longevity in terms of the actual gaming aspect of it, right? It's over 90 minutes, 120 minutes. This is something different. We've got fantasy football, which has like six, seven million users. This is kind of taking elements, as we said, from a financial perspective, financial products, we've got the gambling perspective, and we've got fantasy football. And it's kind of blurring all those lines, but it's creating a better product. I agree. And I think one of the interesting, interesting things that um, you mentioned was the fact that, you know, for me, and I, I think this is the case for a few people, I mean, I did a poll the other day, it was only about 90 people that responded. But the question was, you know, since joining, do you bet more, bet less, bet the same or don't bet anymore? And, you know, obviously, probably highly skewed and a little bit biased, but I think it was probably 80 or 90% said they either bet less or don't bet at all. Um, and I, you know, from my perspective, you know, my sort of frequency and, and volume stakes of betting, you know, in the past 12 months have just sort of fallen off a cliff. Um, you know, I still will put a little bit on, but it's almost like I kind of forget to do it now sometimes because I'm sort of so engrossed or see so many more opportunities in the index. So, yeah, I think I clearly, obviously, I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to regulation, but you could be sort of right, you know, if it does you know, steal a huge amount of market share and it sort of is in inverted commas a stock market, yeah, potentially that could be be worrying and may sort of, you know, cause some further scrutiny from from um, you know, authorities. But you know, I think that's well, I say it's quite far away, but you know, who knows, you know, in eighteen months we could be in a sort of already in a completely different position to where we are now in terms of growth. 
I mean, yeah, I think we'd have to get into the to the millions yeah. in terms of users, right, for for that kind of thing to to happen, and the market cap would be would have to be a lot bigger than it is right now. But yeah, v- very interesting stuff. I think um, talking about this, the these kind of things that I haven't done really often on the podcast is quite important, and um, <laughs> I guess it's, this is kind of the perfect time to speak about it. But I just wanted to kind of move on to you mentioned beforehand that you're quite conservative quite risk adverse have you invested into any other areas other than football index i mean pretty much no um i could there's been like a couple of small things but i mean generally speaking basically no i mean and that's i think uh, you know i guess quite an interesting thing but you know it's it's also I think aside, you know, I don't want to be over sort of selling football index. I don't think I sort of have to or anyone should. But, you know, if someone like me who's quite risk averse has kind of seen it in this light, um, I think that kind of says something. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things that really interests me is how much more interested people are in investing after joining football index. So you, you saw a lot of the football index community talking about cryptocurrencies when we saw this massive uh, boom and I don't know how many uh, are still left in that space <laughs> but at least when like before they were on football index before they were able to manage risk and and actually look at risky reward ratios etc I'm not sure they would be as interested in invest in investing sorry in general so I think just as much as a you know, disruptor to gambling products. I think football index can also be a gateway to uh, kind of getting people slightly more financially literate and making them more interested in investment. Because I, I think a lot of schools and universities do like the, if you do economics, for example, I didn't, but um, I did it for GCSE, I think, weirdly enough. But if <laughs> if you uh, <laughs> if you take a look at what they do, sometimes they give them like a, a fake stock market and try and get them interested in, in investment. That's kind of as far as it goes at school, right? Like there's a big, big problem that we have. Uh, I don't know how old you are, ASP, but my generation, 21 to, to 30 maybe years old, that millennial generation, like there's a lack of financial literacy there's a lack of interest in investment and if there is a lack of interest in investing investing in general there's a lack of therefore interest in securing your financial future which is a big thing and like i've come out of university not really knowing how to do any taxes sorry if you're listening um tax authorities uh (laughs) but you know and so i'm having to get help from my parents and 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 accountants to, to actually figure this thing out but that financial literacy which I was talking about is, is so important, isn't it, in terms of your actual life? And I think Football Index, for me anyway, has helped me become more interested in investment and actually made me a whole lot more literate in terms of finances. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I completely agree with everything you said. I think definitely I'm, I'm probably in the generation you know, just above sort of 30 to 40. But, um, you know, even for me growing up, you know, it's not financial literacy isn't in terms of sort of real world scenarios is not really for some reason something that was part of the education system um or sort of wider societal kind of issue so yeah this definitely helps and and yeah you know if by getting involved um you know it helps i think i think the age limit's 18 is that yeah. right yeah yeah so you know if it helps you know that's you know pretty not to be sort of judgmental there's quite young people you know if it helps them to sort of get involved um and learn more and and i guess like you said just think about 
money, you know, returns, financial language, um, and sort of get their head angled towards that. I think, yeah, for the rest of their life, that's definitely sort of invaluable um, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, uh, enough regulatory jargon and uh and uh, uh, you know you know it's gonna have like five listeners i'm I'm sure people are actually really interested in this but i I do want to talk football index and i want to actually talk about your tactics right so for me if i had that bigger portfolio what i would have is i'd actually had it have it split up so i'd have my players that i hold for maybe months and then i'd have players that i hold for weeks that are kind of fixed related maybe and then I'd have shorter term mm-hmm. players. Is how, how do you how do you play it? To be honest, so I think the thing for me was basically last year um, I was hugely involved. Obviously, because I you know was kind of breaking myself <laughs> having so much in uh, at the times, but also just because there was so much going on, uh, you know, with the move to PB or, or I guess the implementation of PB, the IPOs, um, the growth in general, transfers, the usual stuff. There was just a lot going on, so I was kind of heavily involved, and so it was kind of just the day by day, week by week management situation in terms of not not necessarily specific tactics. Obviously, you want to try and catch certain players, um, you know, on on the bottom on the way up. Um, but I think now, to be honest, um, it's it's something that I I don't want to have to necessarily consume as much time as it did last year and so for me i'm actually happier uh and i think i alluded to this in some of my tweets you know my roi going forward will probably not nearly be as strong as you know probably a lot of other traders most other traders but i'm happy at a level where i can sort of know i'm getting either a reasonable you know sort of passive income dividend returns but also you know if i see an opportunity i can take it but i'm not as sort of hawkish on the index and on stories and on things that are going on whereby every single opportunity I kind of want to exploit. So in terms of tactics, to be honest, it's heavily now skewed towards um, just longer term longer term holds and then the odd, uh, I wouldn't say young player, uh, I know that's sort of British, but sort of fairly unnoticed or up and coming player who I can pick up um, cheaply and maybe when he's recognized, you know, sell or or just hold for dividends. So that's kind of where I am at the moment, just because I don't, I don't want to have to sort of have as much time invested um, because it did, you know, consumed a huge amount of my life last year. Yeah. I think you have to alter your tactics can like considering like whatever your lifestyle is like. And for me, I managed to adapt. It probably took me about a month quite quickly when I first started my job. I realized that I could still play the buy low, sell high game very, very well, even in the transfer window, right? Like I could buy players on the the 10 30 11 p.m stories and then when i get or got to work in the morning after the tube tube ride in i realized that you know some of these players had actually boomed and i realized that actually i didn't have to trade in and out between you know five ten minutes i could actually still do the the transfer window game and obviously if you're on your computer 24 7 and able to trade it's going to be you're going to pick up more of these players right but the important thing to note is that you don't have to catch every opportunity. And the second thing to to know is that you don't have to catch the whole move up. If you're looking at scalping 10, 20, 30%, some of these players are going up 50, 60%. You don't have to be on the whole ride up. If you catch some of that and make a significant chunk of money, 
that's still good profit. And I think alter your tactics to what serves your lifestyle best, right? You now have £300,000 in this product, right? That means that you can split your portfolio up accordingly to, as you said, long-term holds, younger players that could boom, um, the odd story here and there. But it's still important to have this variety, right? Like, I don't think anyone however big their portfolio is and i know when you're when you have a smaller portfolio it's probably easier to just buy and sell uh in and out very quickly but when you have a large portfolio i don't think you should be kind of you know ignorant or oblivious to the opportunities around you you should still be splitting your portfolio around longer term holds the medium term holds as i was talking about looking at fixtures and upcoming uh, easy fixtures for potential players and then you know the old transfer story or just kind of the short-term flip if if someone does have a massively good performance and i wanted to just piggyback on your point about kind of managing the situation right so mentally this must be like a massively difficult thing to deal with having this much money in the index right <laughs> yeah <laughs> how do you <laughs> sometimes how, so so how do you how do you cope with this because i know a lot of people can get very stressed with money how do you and i think it's really important to talk about mental health how do you deal with the mental stress involved yeah i mean i'd say definitely it, it's not so much a factor now i think a lot of it as you kind of touched on right at the beginning i think a lot of it comes from perceived not necessarily real um or, or or valid but perceived uncertainty just about you know the index the fact that it's new um the sort of um you know youthfulness of the product and obviously then the fact that you've got some money into it rather than i think you know if it was sort of five say 10 years in having that same amount of money in i think it's just it's a combination of that so for me as i sort of said as time has gone on um the stress has got less by the product sort of proving itself and the company continuing to prove itself, which which gives me increasing sort of comfort having that much money in. And then that aside, in terms of obviously the market movements with with that amount of money in, yeah, it's it's what you said. Um, you know, I think no matter what sort of portfolio you have, you have to have uh, you know a good spread um, and good um, awareness of what could potentially go wrong um you know with whatever you know player you, you've got your money in it forever for how long or whatever time and that's again kind of going back to how i've set things up i've i've kind of set it up so that i've got you know it's 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 not necessarily the, the best way because i'm not completely immune from price falls but I, i'm sort of immune enough that i feel comfortable you know if a player picks up an injury um you know it doesn't really alter my strategy with 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 x player um and then in another player if i'm going into him and i want to sort of flip him you know i make sure that i'm kind of sort of on my you know exit strategy and not holding on so it's it's kind of what you said it's variety and, and spreading your risk i mean it's, it's a basic thing but i guess hard to do so that's the other thing that kind of helps me kind of stay pretty relaxed about it all very good stuff, man. Um, good to hear that you're feeling quite relaxed. For me, when I started relaxing about this product was when I completely de-risked in terms of deposits. <laughs> well, I'm not going to lie. I mean, obviously, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not going to lie and say I'm completely relaxed, but I'm, you know, I'm... The other thing I find as well is in terms of the time thing, I found that having this sort of large portfolio, the more the more time I spend on the index the more time I'm likely to, the more I'm likely to make bad decisions and the more I'm likely just to stress out. 
Um, there is something to be said, I think, for, you know, maybe like what you said, and I think what many people do is, you know, setting a time or a few times in the day to sort of get on and, and check the news and, and maybe trade rather than, I think, you know, just sort of being on it whenever you can and all the time. Because I think that, for me at least, tends to kind of disrupt my sort of state and, and leads me to make less good decisions. Yeah, I think, as you said there, for you, that this is the best thing. And I want to kind of stress that everyone's different, right? Like, there's a lot of people on Twitter that say, this is the right way to do it. This is the wrong way to do it. <laughs> like, whatever suits you best. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Like, whatever suits you best might not suit someone else best, right? So a lot of people who say, right, like, hold forever, or those people who say, like, I don't know why you haven't sold, <laughs> for that person, like, it might not resonate with the other. So I think that's what we kind of have to be, like, kind of um, a bit more careful in the football in this Twitter community. I try and help people, like, maximise their profits. And that's not for everyone. Like, you know... This is just the way I, I do things. And my YouTube channel is kind of like more a reflection of my journey and how I've learned uh, what I've learned to be the best tactics for myself. If you can replicate those and make a lot of money, great. If you can take elements of those videos or these podcasts and actually help your personal strategy evolve, then great. I'm happy either way for you. I don't want to belittle anyone's strategy. Definitely. I think in general, I mean, we can touch on a couple of things here. I think in general, you know, the, I think the Twitter community could, you know, I think certain people like yourself, um, there's a few others, I think are really good, um, you know, sources um, and, you know, points of reference for especially newer traders um, and, you know, and existing traders. But I think in general, yeah, I, Personally, I, I think it's important to be a bit more neutral um, and kind of show both sides of, of any kind of point you're trying to make rather than I think a lot of what seems to happen with, um, you know, sort of slinging matches and you're right, I'm wrong. Um, and, that's, and, and that touches on something else. I think, you know, in terms of what we talked about for anyone new that's listening, yes, you know, I decided to put a huge amount of money and yes, my portfolio now stands at this amount. Yes, I'm confident in the product, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But don't do anything and don't put, you know, a certain amount of money in just because you think, you know, this guy's done this or someone else you've seen has done this. And, you know, really sit down and think about, you know, every decision you make, whether it's getting involved the first time, your first few trades, putting more money in. Don't just, you know, take, you know, your word, my word for it. And that and the same goes for, you know, people you follow on Twitter, I'd say is if you're a new user, you know, really think about who you're following because, you know, you'll see a lot of people trying to, you know, say certain things for their own gain. And sometimes it may not seem like it, but most of the time it is. Um, and, you know, you think to yourself, you know, do you want every time you load up your screen to kind of have your, you know, maybe it's me because I'm a bit sensitive, but, you know, to have your sort of state and your emotions kind of potentially affected by all this sort of information, which isn't really relevant, as you've said, to what you should do because it's really about you your experience on the index how you know how you manage your risk and what's best for you you know i think that's important to mention yeah i think one thing's for certain as well that if one person sells a player that shouldn't really affect your decision whether you should buy more or sell that player or keep him 
So that that's one thing I would say when being on Football Index Twitter. But I want to talk about a specific player, right? And uh, I don't know if you own or not, but Neymar is obviously the man in the headlines at the moment. And I want to know, one, if you own any, two, what your, if you do, what your kind of, what what you were thinking through that injury? Yeah. So yes, I do. Um, thankfully, um, and yeah. So for me, my strategy with Neymar is he for me is you know one of the most regular uh, dividend returners um, on the index and in terms of overall returns in a year. Um, you know, I think if not currently has the potential to be or is, is sort of there or thereabouts. You know, he's in inverted commas the king or maybe soon to be. The prince, I guess, if Kane uh, overtakes him. But my strategy was, um, I'm, I'm holding him for three years. I, I see more growth in him, and in the time that I've owned him, um, I, and also, you know, you have to bear in mind, I don't just own a hundred. You know, I could own five hundred, I could own a thousand, I could own two thousand. You know, the more futures you have in someone, um, for me, it's. I think this comes back to, you know, I shouldn't say this, but the laziness point or the time point as well in terms of, you know, I, I don't really want to have to be coming in and out of all these players, um, you know, when I, you know, when there's a bump or, or a little dip or there's an injury, I'd rather just have my strategy on a bit of more of a longer term basis where I can relax because I know, for example, with Neymar, you know, he's going to come back in two or three months. There's going to be the World Cup. Even if there wasn't the World Cup, you know, he's going to still, you know, nail it with PSG next year and probably the year after and there's obviously the regular Madrid link so you know the time and effort it takes to kind of get futures out and and I you know and I've kind of got a lot of good investments in other players I, I kind of just re- thought I'd just write it out to be honest so, you know that was my position but I can understand if you had kind of just bought into him you know last week and you don't think that he's going to return anything you know in the interim while he's injured uh, I can really understand, yeah, pulling your money out and um, you know jumping on something else. So yeah, that wasn't my strategy, but I can understand that. So for me, yeah, it was, you know, I was happy just to ride it out. Well, I've got two kind of points to make, and the first one is going to be me being a bit mean and being de- the devil's advocate, right? <laughs> so if you had sold some, and I mean, even if you own five thousand, say, if you had sold five hundred and kind of de-risked yourself and put that into other players that could rise to counteract that drop. Was that not something that kind of went through your mind? Well, it, it was and it wasn't. The other thing to bear in mind is I'm I'm also on the side doing that same thing with other players anyway, and so it kind of it kind of it got to the obviously with this amount of money, it kind of got to the point where I actually didn't have a burning urge to kind of get on to many other players anyway. Um, because I had sort of been I had closed some positions elsewhere, and then I jumped on X player. So, you know, releasing a bit of cash from here, yes, I probably could have. But to be honest, I, I'd probably want to buy back in anyway soonish. And also, personally speaking, I think he's going to pick up and has picked up, you know, some dividends already. So, um, yeah, I can see, you know, yeah, that's a logical point of view. You know, if you think the player is going to drop, it makes sense to sell and jump on some, someone else. But I think in the context of how I'm sort of managing the whole portfolio, it, it didn't really it wasn't like a burning, uh, pressing need for me. I, you know, I guess I'll be honest, it's a bit of laziness. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Good good to be honest, I guess. <laughs> so my second point was, like, okay, so this was the first time we had a bit of a scare on the top, top player, right? 
And a lot of people were telling me like, okay, I've bought into Neymar. I think he could be 20 pounds in, in, in whatever, <laughs> right? Okay. And I, firstly, I said, there's no chance because of the spreads, which I think is true, right? And secondly, if he got to 15 pounds and he had a similar injury scare, what is the reaction going to be then? Say if there wasn't like the say if this was in the middle of next season and um, there is no World Cup, there aren't that many stories about whether or not he'll make the World Cup, which is a, a lot of the buzz that's been been going around. What what do you what what's your perspective on this? Like the 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 ceiling of players because obviously with these injuries, it's not kind of investing into a company where if the CEO, like I don't know it has a tragic accident and has to step down from the company. Someone just fills this position. This is just a person. If they get injured badly in a sport that, you know, is all to do with how physically able you are pretty much. Like how do you, what's your perspective on this? Yeah, it's obviously a really relevant consideration. I think it's, well, I think it's both relevant and also a little bit overplayed in some ways, obviously really relevant, um, in terms of your, um, you know, your holding or your or your trading, just to say that, yeah, you, I think, I think every trader needs to just obviously be aware that that could happen at any time to any single player, and especially if it happens to the bigger players, there's going to be, um, you know, a, a more accentuated impact. So it goes back to what you were saying before. You, you know, you have to be diversified. You know, um, there's not really much else you can do um or you have to you know maybe be a bit more of a short-term in and out trader but if you're holding i think it's just you just have to be diversified there's nothing else that can happen you know kane could get injured well it probably would be a good thing maybe if you're injured now for, for media bus but you know any player could get injured at any point for any period of time so it is relevant but i think at the, at the same time i think a lot of it the kind of feeling about this has been influenced a bit um too much in a way by what happened to Zlatan. Um, I think it's slightly different when, you know, he was like a 35-year-old guy on a one-year contract, um, you know, always you know, rumors about him going to America. So, you know, that kind of injury was always going to have not just a negative impact, but basically a catastrophic impact. Um, and I think you know, just, just to interrupt slightly there, ASP, yeah. I think, if anything, the Fakir injury had more of an influence on Neymar, don't you think? Yeah, possibly, possibly. But what, in terms of the fact that, as in Fakir's injury specifically because he'd been injured before or because he was injured the day of or the day before? I think that the because it happened so close to each other and we saw like a massive drop yeah, yeah, I'd agree on, on such a short-term injury. And yeah. then Neymar's one came out and he's not dropped as much, even though this is a two to three month injury. And you know what? Like... I mean, I'm not trying to scare anyone. I don't think you should sell <laughs> at all. But you have to... Con- okay, so like anything that can happen will happen. There's that yes. old forte, yep. right? Yep. So he could miss the World Cup. Yes. That's a possibility. Yes. And I think that's something that should factor in to any trader's thinking yeah, when absolutely. you have Neymar, right? And And even if that chance is 0.05%, right? there's still a possibility. So it should factor into your kind of how adverse you are to this risk. So I I think that's one thing I would say. I think when you're looking at reports of two to three months and just being like, oh, he's out for two to three months, he'll be back for me. That's not a certainty. No, no. And I think people should take these things kind of 
and I think you can talk about a bit more of the mentality in, in owning him and, and actually figuring out the risk for your reward. And for you, it's a bit easier because you own so many and you're going into next season with Neymar, right? However, there are a lot of like smaller portfolio traders who bought in, and this is what scared me, right? They bought in kind of quite high mm. and it's a bulk of their portfolio. Mm. And he goes down, and there's this mass panic. So, how do you how do you alleviate concerns? Well, I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, there's only so much you can do. It, it, it's it is. I think the main thing to make clear is it is the reality of of the index. Um, uh, but just going back to what you said, um, yeah, it's important. To, to, it's really important to, to to be intellectually honest about your analysis. I think I, I wrote a tweet. You know, saying Neymar holders things to consider, and one of them was, what if he's out for longer or, or shorter? Um, and yeah, it's exactly how you said you have to consider what could happen. Um, you know, that what could happen might happen. But in terms of alleviated concerns, I mean, there's not much you can do. For me, it, it's just all about uh, you know a varied portfolio and, and risk management. You know, if you had put you know forty fifty percent of your of your you know money into him, or you were trading into him in, in, in you know probably you know, too high a numbers then yeah you're gonna you're gonna be at a massive risk uh, to that sort of thing and um, and when that did happen i'm sure if i was in that position it would have put me in the same panic and that's why we saw the fall so yeah hopefully this should show that i'm not sort of just some sort of pie in the sky guy there's no real way to to alleviate alleviate that concern fully because it's always going to be there yeah fair enough and um yeah it's it's all about how how spread you can be to minimize your risk i think uh, for me when i have a, a big chunk of a player and that player flies up and i realize that quite quickly they've become a massive percentage of my portfolio i tend to tie like take tiny bits of profit just to actually you know minimize my downside but um well, i know i think we've spoken about risk and reward on this podcast so much and i think that one thing that i've seen you be very vocal about on twitter is a, is about the pb scoring <laughs> and uh i think like you seem like a very nice genuine guy and um i think you you might come off as a bit more angry on twitter about pb scoring yeah so, so go on start ranting <laughs> well how long do we have no i think look at the end of the day we're all we're all football fans right you know going going back to what you said about um you know this being sort of an introduction to to finance and trading i mean the, the good thing about why a lot of people, for example, may not get into crypto is, A, they may not understand it, B, they may not find it very interesting, or C, they might understand it a little bit and find it a bit interesting, but they can't really take the next step it's, to it's really not as understand. It's is it, in terms of yeah, actually investing so, in so it? First, exactly. So the first reason, again, for me, just going on this journey and with you know, putting a lot of money in, et cetera, et cetera, and getting to here, you know, we're all in this, I'm sure, because first and foremost, we're football fans, right? Um, as well as the opportunity to, to try and make some money. So when it comes to PB scoring, before even you know, thinking about it in relation to the index, you, you surely just want to see a sort of as accurate as possible and as much sort of, I guess, justice you could say in the system as, as a fan, right? So, so, so in an ideal scenario, surely you would rather want someone to win on any given day from you know genuinely being the best player on the pitch um you know in their but position again sorry to cut you off uh, like yeah. isn't that subjective man of the match for example i've seen that phone quite a lot that's a subjective thing 
Well, the, the man of the match is obviously a subjective thing, but in terms of data, you know, there are there are various well accepted, you know, data which put together generally give you know a reasonably good reflection of performance. I mean, you look at who scored, you look at sofa score. You know, there's a, there's 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 a generally accepted uh, criteria, you know, which is quite broad, and, and I don't think the current system is broad enough in terms of actual actions it it sort of caters to. And then there's the actual weighting itself, which again, you know, I don't think, you know, I'd be I'd be hard pressed to 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 find an actual genuine football fan who thinks that if you were judging a player on a match that you know seven points for a corner, you know, that someone heads is worth more than you know. Sane the other night dribbling past four Arsenal players. I mean, you'd have to be pretty intellectually dishonest to, to kind of go with that, right? Yeah, I, I totally agree. But so, so give me some of the things that you'd scrap. And, and some well, of the I think the main add. thing is, uh, the, the funny thing is with this, the, the other reason why I think it's maybe might come across that I'm quite particular about it is I don't have the answers. And, you know, <laughs> but, but, but I'd at least like to try. I mean, what doesn't make sense to me is, and the funny thing is, before I sort of posted my portfolio, I had quite a few, um, you know, sort of quite terse responses back. And then even a couple of DM exchanges, you know, and, and basically a lot of the mentality was one, you know, it's fine. You know, it's perfect. It's good as it is, which I don't really understand in anything in life. You know, you can always try and make things better. It may not be possible, but there's no harm in trying. And B, which I can understand is a valid concern is, you know, we've already put our bets down and, you know, Obviously, no one, you know, whether it's traders or football index, would want any changes which would materially affect, you know, the odds on which we put our bets down. So we just have to assume that's, you know, it's that we we would try to do something within the scope of that not happening, right? And it's all about just just trying, you know, can we introduce, you know, so in terms of specifics that you mentioned, you know, I'd say yeah, can we introduce dribbles, successful, unsuccessful? Can we introduce? You know, differentiation between passes so that you know a pass that's five yards is scored slightly differently to a 40 yard through ball which you know creates a chance can we introduce aerial duels just to give you know a slightly different style of player um you know can we change the scoring to make you know for example liverpool a bit more counter-attacking not possession based maybe not as affected as as much it's just an exploration and i don't really see the harm in trying to to get it to get it better i mean i don't know if you agree with that I actually totally agree with you in terms of like we want this product to be better, right? Yeah. Sorry, um, just to interrupt, just, just on, yeah. it, that's the main thing, and that's why I don't understand the mindset. Is I, I sense from a lot of people, I'm going to sound maybe high and mighty, but it's just my perception is they're happy that they could read a, an analysis model and jump on Parejo at 140 as as as, as, a, as we all could, or whoever it might be, Hamez. And they are just a bit sort of happy with their lot and a bit sort of selfish. But the better the product is, the better we're all going to be. If you can trade well, the better exactly. off we're all going to be in the long run. Okay, so I really want to emphasize this point. I really want to hammer it home, right? Say if you have, okay, let's let's take Parejo. You have a lot of uh, Danny Parejo and he's, he's done really well for PV, right? For his corners, his penalty kicks, which is the main big benefactor that he's, he's come from. Um if they did change the PB scoring for the better to make it so more players actually have value in the long term, you're going to profit more. Even if you have a massive portfolio, right? You've got a really big portfolio. It's quite spread. If they change the PB scoring, so they added dribbles and you have Messi and Neymar and you also have Parejo, that 
you're, you're going to gain on those two players. You might lose a bit on Parejo. And also when, okay, so they've already changed the PB scoring once, right? Over the summer where they added 40 points per goal and 40 points per game winning goal. The actual, like it took the market a good four, five, six, seven months to adjust right after that, because we didn't see Aguero fly for a while. We didn't see Harry Kane fly for a while. People didn't realize until they saw it in reality that this has actually made a massive change. So for me, there'd be big changes but and there'd be some short-term rises, but it would take the market a long time to consolidate. I think the only big thing that if there was a change that would see a massive amount of money fly about would be goalkeepers, right? That's something I think should be carefully and very slowly done, right? First, first, I think they should try and kind of allow... And, and a lot of people I see say, oh, there's no need to change, right? There is no way any keeper is going to win on a triple <laughs> day. Right? They've, only won on, they've only won on single days and they've only won on triple days when there wasn't the IPOs, right? So what could you do? First step would be to make the you know, the change the passing scoring system for goalkeepers. So when they do goal kicks and it doesn't reach one of their players, which is very regularly, you make that, you know, an incomplete pass and you don't lose them any points or you make it a clearance. So they actually gain points. You've got to do one or the other because every time a keeper has a goal kick, since let's say they have 10 goal kicks and seven of them are incorrect passes, that's minus 21 points just because they've kicked the ball far. Like I that's the first step and then the second step if that really doesn't work you create a goalkeeper specific category but you reduce the payouts so that it doesn't influence traders to take money out of Neymar to take money out of Parejo and put it into Manuel Neuer yeah well you sound you sound far too sensible <laughs> uh and logical I mean I I would I wouldn't disagree I mean obviously the specifics of what it could be in terms of any tweaking whatever I don't have a view on that because I don't know what would work but yeah I agree with sort of what you said I think I would maybe approach it slightly differently in terms of if the index was considering this I'd say I think ideally and just let me finish ideally I think it would be better if there could be a separate goalkeeper category however I recognize and I, I generally don't think that will be the case because I recognize how difficult that would to be would be to do in terms of you know the, the few number of goalkeepers potentially playing on some days but I think the first step should be just close that off first you know go for Explore the most, you know, broad option possible, the most sort of expansive option possible first. If that can't be done, then yeah, let's look at the scoring and you know, can we tweak something here and there? And yeah, I think I think possibly something could be done. But I think just going back to, to, to the whole thing, I think you mentioned Messi and Neymar and Parejo. There's two things I think that could happen which would make any sort of changes, you know, sort of not too disruptive. One is I just think there are certain logical things where you look at introduction of certain stats and removal or reduction of other ones where it kind of balances out. So, you know, the the players now that are kind of taking free kicks, that are taking corner set pieces, they're generally probably going to be players that would also score quite well on key passes, you know, three balls, you know, probably dribbling as well. So reducing one and and, and improving the other is probably not, you know, again, I'm saying this with a massive assumption, but I can see a little bit of a case for a balancing exercise there in the same way that, you know, introducing dribbles, but also maybe introducing aerial duels, you know, you're going to find two different styles of players that would benefit. So, you know, a Fellaini isn't suddenly going to be, I'm not saying he's worth anything now, but he's not going to be sort of valueless just because he never dribbles because, you know, he might win 
five-year-old kids. Just those sort of ideas where I just don't see the harm in in trying, exploring, and and as as you said, you know, trying to make it better. Um, because the main thing is this is this is the fundamental point as well is we're going to be having PB during the World Cup, and I'd hate to see a situation where it was like was it yesterday or the day before when you know Sane literally played the Arsenal team off the park, especially in the first half. Football Index introduced an article saying he, you know, he, he was the man of the match, five star performance, but his stats were, you know, they were rubbish. And you know, even Xhaka on the other team had more than him. And I'd hate to it to be the World Cup final, and you know, someone wins the PB in the category, you know, midfielder because you know they took sort of ten corners. Do you know what I mean? Rather than actually being the best player. I think yeah, I've I've pointed this quite a long time. From Football Index, it makes sense for the more marketable players to win PB, right? Like the Sanes, the Sterlings, the Messi's, the Ronaldo's to win PB because well, well, just to interrupt you, I mean, well, sorry, go on, I'll let you finish. It's easier for them to market their product if they say like, you know, Messi has gone up this much or Messi has returned this much, rather than Danny Parejo and Tony. They're not the the sexy players, are they? No, but at the same time, I'm not for, I'm not for, and maybe this is where people have misunderstood what I've said. I'm not for, sort of in inverted commas, fixing it so that is the case. I yeah, think yeah, that should just be a byproduct of, you know, if Messi goes out of form, as I think he kind of was probably the last two or three months up until now, then he shouldn't win PB, um, and he and you know someone else should, you know, and, and that's the other reason is someone like you know. Immobile, for example, or even Benega, you know, I think I saw in the Man United game, Benega made 10 key passes. And it's just like, you know, you need to reward these players who, I'm not saying they're less well known, but, you know, they're, they're not your Messi's and your Neymar's. So that, you know, it's just, it's fair. And traders, at the end of the day, part of part of Football Index, and basically my assumption of what it's going to be based on going forward, which is PB, is basically you as a trader calling that you saw that player you know, before anyone else did and saw his form before anyone else did. And if you're not getting rewarded for that for the right reasons, it, it kind of just, I mean, it's just its just not logical, surely. Yeah, I, I kind of agree to, to some extent. And obviously this is all subjective. Uh, the one thing that I do want to end this section on, and it's kind of to do with, like you talked about this scoring matrix being more broad and wider, right? Surely that's a win-win in terms of there's more players who have got actual value. And for Football Index, the PB payouts are more varied. Isn't it just a win-win for everyone, right? Because you've got smaller traders that are going to start buying players that they've seen play well and say, wow, that, that guy's actually done well on performance bars. He could replicate that. Or he's seen someone who kind of missed three or four key chances and, and, and said, you know what, if those go in, he's going to be winning PB at some point. Definitely, definitely. And um, so so why Football Index don't revisit this? Maybe at the end of the season? Or um, for me, it'd be logical when we don't have a tournament year. I'd be, I'd be very surprised if they didn't look at things for the beginning of this, only because... You know, just like anecdotally, people I've introduced, um, yeah, they're sort of interested or they're trading, but it, it is something that I think everyone notices at, at the very least, whether they want it to change or don't want it to change. I think, again, as a football fan, it, it would be very hard to notice that it's it's not perfect. But just getting back, just again, my final point on this rant is, yeah, it will make it would make players more tradable. I mean, just look at Valencia, for example, if you're on a game day, you know, say for example, you've got Soler, Condogbia, Parejo, and Guedes. 
most people on a, gonna get, on a game day are going to put their money into Pereja, right? Um, but if you know, you know, you watched Condogbia last couple of weeks and he was bossing the midfield and was winning every single 50-50 and every ball in the air, maybe he might be a shout. If Guedes, you know, dribble pass, you know, had eight successful dribbles the last match, if Solo had, you know, eight key passes, you know, the last match, it just, as you said, it kind of makes, it makes more players valuable. It, I would have thought it would make more, um, you know, result in more trading. And yeah, I would have thought it would, it would be a win-win. But look, I don't have all the answers, but I think at the very least, at the very least, you know, it's to just not explore it at all. I just don't think it's a defensible position. Yeah, I think um, you're completely right. We, we want to strive to improve, but I want to put this into perspective, right? Lots of fancy football people are very, very, you know, displeased with their scoring matrix and they've been around for 10 years or what hour longer than that. And I know it's not a paid product, but they do make a lot of money through advertisements and so on and so forth. So they, they have a big incentive to keep their customers happy. I, I saw the other day that I think Jack Butland basically scored an own goal but still got some bonus points in fantasy football. <laughs> and people were like in uproar, like what's going on here? And um, think about that product. That's 10 years in the making or more than that. And it's got 7 million users. So we kind of have to st- take a step back maybe uh, from, a you know, as you said, from a logical point of view. And look at this, as you said, it's only two years old. We're going into the third year soon. We need to be patient, maybe. I think we do need to be patient, but I think there's a slight difference in, for me, the longer, I think it's harder to turn something around with this kind of thing. The longer, yeah, the yeah, more money you, there yeah, is yeah. in the market, the more users you have that are used to it. It's harder to turn around an oil tanker than a, than a fishing boat, if you know what I mean. Uh, I mean, well that's said. an awful metaphor, but you're very kind. But <laughs> yeah, and so I just think, why, why wait? I, you know, I personally think that they made a bit of a, well, I don't want to say an error, but you've obviously seen there's a huge amount of skill in the community, uh, you know, in terms of modeling and analytics. You know, they could have, you know, for example, consulted, you know, you know, asked someone to maybe draft something up, whatever it is. But I think there's no harm in taking feedback and as soon as possible getting something out, which, like you said, it's never going to be perfect. But I think the first sort of revision can do most of the work and then probably thereafter either you can maybe take a little bit every couple of years or three years or just leave it but i think it makes sense to me to do it sooner rather than later um just because you know again anecdotally i've had some people i've introduced saying yeah this is great i'm really into it and other people where they put a bit of money in and then i think it was the day that son hyun min played a blinder for spurs um and was you know again a most rating systems man of the match and my mate was just like, I don't understand why has this other player got you know some more points for taking corners, and it was just it just doesn't help with attracting new customers. You know, obviously it's still growing, but I, I think it could be a more efficient capture rate for for new customers. Well, very well said, and I, I don't think I can really dispute the the oil tanker uh, truck point. Uh, it's it's fishing so boat, true. Fishing it's boat, fishing boat yeah. sorry, it's it's so true, and it's so much easier to do. Um, when you do have a smaller customer base, when you do have less money in the market, that's a very, very valid point. I do think they should just take on board. Uh, they did do a few surveys uh, via email a few months ago. I don't know what's been, you know, what's come of that. We probably won't see anything that's come of that for, for quite a while, knowing Football Index. But um, uh, I, I do think that they should take the customer's viewpoints on board, as we're discussing now. There's There's two sides to the coin. And uh, yeah, I, I'm just really interested to see where this product's going to go. Uh, you know, I'm happy with it at the moment. Of course, there could be, um, of course, there could be improvements. Of course, we could 
be already trading in Sweden and Canada as they said they would in February. However, you know, we do have to take it with a pinch of salt. But at the same time, I do think Football Index do need to do better in terms of their transparency, where their roadmap is. Because at the moment, it's very hush-hush. We don't really hear a lot. We do. We should really have a tweet or an email saying, sorry, it's not actually going to be ready for February for X, Y reasons. We understand. Would you understand? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a difficult one. I think in general, I agree with you. The only thing on that point is they, I think the more users you get, and it's been very, very apparent, you, you know, they, they they have to kind of distance themselves from, I think, how they were doing things before where say various things and some things you shouldn't have to they're trying to be very precise in what they say but with the Sweden thing I just thought you know end of February was like three days ago I think if nothing comes out in the next couple of weeks then yeah I think it would be pretty poor from them but I I kind of just assume that it's sort of all on board and, and we'll kind of hear when we hear I don't think they haven't changed their mind otherwise they'd say it's just something that isn't quite ready yet and so should they should they send out a communication on every specific concern of traders no could it be better yes but i think i think it's kind of getting there um it is better i mean my experience with the customer service team now from when it was you know way back when is is a lot quicker um so yeah it could be better but 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 i just i think we have to be a bit um at the same time a bit sort of um forceful um, in, in a tactful way about how they could improve, but also give them a little bit of slack because they have you know, generally gone in the right direction. Yeah, I, I do agree to some extent, but also I do think that a lot of people pumped in a lot of money when they heard about the new territories, right? So as soon as that happened, and people are always going to invest more money when there's positive news, right? As soon as that happens, you then as a company have the responsibility to let people know what has happened with what has happened with that because they've basically invested more money knowing that there's going to be further liquidity from other countries so surely when it doesn't happen there should be announcement because companies far 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 bigger than football index that's a few too many files i think um communicate via social media and email to their customers if there's going to be implementation or, or they're going to get rid of something there's just a kind of a lack of transparency there. I've, you know, as I said, we mentioned cryptocurrencies before. I've seen uh, there's there's Coinbase, which is the biggest one, and, and Binance, which is another massive exchange. Those two massive companies, which onboard millions of customers and are worth billions of dollars, communicate with customers over Twitter. Their CEOs are on Twitter talking to customers. So. And I'm not saying Adam Cole should kind of try and allay every single concern, but kind of an announcement like he made for Sweden should have been done at the end of this month saying, you know what, the regulatory I's and T's haven't been crossed just yet. It's all paperwork or we've had problems with payment issues in Sweden or um, Canada, etc. There's, there's reasons, right? They're, they're not just being lazy. Yeah. There are reasons. We just want the transparency. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hear. I, I think that's a valid point. I think it depends. Yeah, personally, I, I'm okay for a kind of another week or two, but I can, I can certainly, it would definitely be ideal if, as of two days ago, they could have put out like a holding message. Yes, you know, that's a fair point. Well, 
I think uh, I think we're running out of time actually, SP. And uh, oh, that's a shame. Uh, it is a shame we could we could yap each other's ear off, ears off. Ears off. It seems for, for for a while longer. But I think uh, those commutes aren't actually that long. They're only about an hour. So I shall let you sign off. And where can people find out more about you on Twitter? What's your What's your handle at the moment? Yeah, it's just um, a well. It's actually I've used the A as an at, so it's at SP Football Index um, on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I don't really give many tips or anything like that, but uh, occasionally I might write something that might be useful for you. So yeah, do send me a message or follow me or whatever you want to do. Nice one. Thanks very much for coming on, man. No, thanks very much for having me. It's, it's been a pleasure. Lovely. And uh, yeah, thank you guys at home listening or on your commutes in this bloody snowy weather at the moment that we're experiencing down down in london anywhere i don't know where you're based but um yeah thank you very much for listening if you do have any feedback for this show uh, you know recently breaking into the top 200 sports and rec i'm really you know i'm putting my hands together here and thanking every single person who's who's listened reviewed yourself asp for coming on and every other guest that has come on in the past thank you so much for for helping me get this you know this podcast into the mainstream basically and uh yeah if, if you guys did enjoy that then again those reviews i love reading them they help rank the podcast they help get the football index name out there and yeah if you're interested in you know honing your trading skills why not pop over to the youtube channel give that subscribe and a few videos a like as well trying to get that to lift off like the you know like the podcast has really i know this is more accessible but some of those videos can help but thanks for coming on asp no problem thanks man